and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm excited about this is that I just think that, you know, so many Christians have stopped short, and this isn't me trying to be judgmental. It's just from conversations I've had with people that are either kind of in church but struggling, maybe coming back to church, this kind of thing. But so many Christians kind of become believers, um, become Christians, and then they, they stop short of allowing the, the unseen and, and the unpredictable and the supernatural, the powerful, refreshing breath of God to kind of blow into their lives, to be a part of their daily lives. And, and a lot of Christianity, especially here in, in, in Western culture, it's kind of withered into this, this watered-down kind of guilt management system, right? Like we think of church, a lot of times we think of church, and it's, it's really interesting when you start to study kind of where the world was when Jesus showed up and where the religious system was when he showed up, but it's kind of boiled down or, or kind of rather been, been shrunk down to this, this idea of, you know, tell me the rules that I need to follow to go to heaven when I die. And that's how a lot of us think of church. That's how a lot of people think of church. Well, I, I got to go fi- figure out all the rules. And then once I find out all the rules, well, it turns out I've been breaking some of those rules. Can I hear a good amen from yes, one, one person, <laughs> two people that, that want to admit that? And that's all right. It's all right. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them you can stay anonymous. But when we break the rules, then we think, well, I need to go to church because I need to go talk to the guy, and he's got to tell me what I, can, what I can do to get right from breaking all the rules. And now, now I'm back on track for, for going to heaven once I die. And it's kind of all about like, the afterlife and heaven and hell and making heaven and missing hell and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that you know, this is part of the reason why Christianity has suffered so much um, in this, this generation that we're in with millennials and that kind of thing. And there are, there are masses of people that are leaving Christianity, leaving faith, and it's becoming something less than what Jesus intended church and Christianity to really be about. People gave their lives for this thing in the first century. People died for this, were mauled to death, were set on fire until they died in the first century, in the second and third century, actually uh, all the way up until about 300 AD. People gave their lives for this Jesus movement. So what was it about Christianity at the beginning that was so compelling? The people loved being a part of it, literally were dying to be a part of it. And part of when you, when you get back to the, the early church's message and what they were talking about, you understand that following Jesus was not just about what happens after you die, but it's about this life and, and, and coming back into relationship with the Heavenly Father here and now. Like eternal life doesn't just mean life after you die. It's eternal, and your eternity is already started. It's already begun. Jesus came to give us eternal life. It's about lost kids being found. It's about broken things being fixed. It's about dead things being given new life. And I'm not saying in any way that it is less than heaven or or what happens to us after we die or we leave our time here. But it is so much more than just being about rules that you need to follow to get into heaven after you die. It's about life here, rich life, satisfying life full and fulfilling life here and now. So it's about that holy breath of God himself, the closeness of God himself, God's spirit, something that when he's trying to describe it, he talks about, he uses words like the wind and and breath and, and all of these things, something so close, a God so close that we would call him breath to ourselves. Is there anything closer than your breath? That's what it's all 
about. And this is one of the reasons that you need to open your life to Him, especially if you're maybe coming back to faith or you've had faith before and you're not sure where you stand. You're struggling with some things, but you know that there's got to be something more to life than what you've been experiencing. Got to be something more to life than what you have been living. Maybe even got to be something more to Christianity and to your personal faith than what you have experienced before. It's like having windows and doors kind of closed up at home. Anybody been on a trip, right, and you've been away for a week and you come home and you open up the door to the house and you walk in and it's just like, it's stale and it's musty, right? And, and, and somebody forgot to take out the trash before you left, right? And it's just, it's ne- and what's the first thing you do? Go open up some windows. Well, first thing you do is take out the trash. The second thing you do, you go and you open up the windows. You get a breeze going through there, especially in Fairfield and Sassoon. Y'all in Vacavi- all y'all Vacavillains, y'all are, t- you know, you just got to turn on the AC or whatever. But, but that's what it's about. It's about this Christian life being like opening up the doors and windows, on your soul and letting the freshening, the refreshing breath of God just blow through your life. So this is why you need to be part of a church family. These are some of the ways that you open up your life to the presence and the breath of God. It's part of why you need to join Growth Track after service on Sundays. We have Growth Track to tell you how to get connected and get involved with the church family. You need to be a part of small groups. You need to come to church more often than you've been coming. I know, I know, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say that, and you know, you know, you've been missing out. It's all right. I'm not judging you, but come on, you got to come back. All right, five of you are on board with me. So, it's, it's interesting to me, and listen, I, I get it. I get that this is the way that Christianity has been presented. You need to believe. You need to have faith. You need to believe. You need to have faith. You shake somebody's hand, you sign a membership role somewhere, and then, like what? What is it after that? What is it after I believe? And there's an interesting thing that happens in the book of Acts, what we call the book of Acts in the New Testament, which is kind of like this travel journal almost uh, of things that happened um, with the early church, with the first followers of Jesus, what they started doing in the world under the power and the influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And, and what we're about to read now from Acts chapter 19 happened about 24 years after Jesus like blasted off from the planet, the church launched and all that kind of stuff. About 24 years after, 24 years into the Jesus movement, into the church, we find an interesting exchange between this really famous Christian named Paul and some believers in Jesus. 24 years later, this is amazing to me, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived, in, arrived at Ephesus, a city there, and there he found some disciples. Somebody say some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, turn around and ask somebody close to you that question. Go ahead, ask them. (laughs) It's really quiet and awkward in here right now, isn't it? Man, so quiet and awkward. They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit Somebody say, we ain't afraid of no ghosts. Yeah. Anybody old enough to remember Ghostbusters? Some of y'all, oh, they, they, did, they did a reboot of that, didn't they? I heard it was horrible. I'm not going to go watch it. So anyway, then, so Paul asked them, well, then what baptism did you, did you receive? And they said, well, John's baptism. So here's the thing that I want to point out here, and I'm taking too long and being awkward with it. I'll move on. So here's the thing. You can be a believer and not know anything about the Holy Spirit. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ 
and not have an experience or a relationship with God where you would call him your spiritual breath, where you would say that God actively lives inside of me, that God actually animates my spiritual life, gives power and carries oxygen to my spiritual fibers and my spiritual muscles and my spiritual organs. You can be a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ and not have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting because they had received John's baptism. We're like, well, what's John's baptism? And this John was, was the guy who was like Jesus' announcer. And he came on the scene telling the people of Israel, hey, you know that, that, that kingdom and the, the fixing work that God has promised to do for thousands of years now? Like, get ready. It's coming. Get ready. It's coming. Get ready. It's coming. It's here. It's here. It's here. It's coming now. And people would come to John and they say, well, well, yeah, we want to be a part of God's kingdom. We want to be a part of God's solution. We're, we're tired of being part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And so John would tell them, well, okay, you got to make a change in how you live your life. And then John would dunk them in water. And he was kind of the first one to really baptize, what we would call baptize other people. So they called him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Before that, there were these rituals they might have to, to take part of to join the Jewish religion, but they would baptize themselves actually. But John's like, no, I'm going to be the one to dunk you. And so they called him John the Baptist. And John's baptizing people and checking his watch, baptizing people and checking his watch because God told him, you start the movement, you start announcing that this is happening, and then I'm going to send someone and I'm going to show you who it is, and that one is going to be the promised king, the promised Messiah that's going to take the baton from your hands and really launch this putting right work that I am doing in the world. And so John is baptizing people and looking, baptizing people and looking, and then one day, we find out in John chapter 1, verse 21, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one. This is the one that I've been talking about. This is the one I've been telling you. I've been looking for. God told me he is coming. And so after that, Jesus took over the leadership of the Jesus movement. Jesus took over the leadership of bringing God's kingdom and God's healing and God's restoration into the world. And so after that, they didn't just baptize people as members of, of a generic kingdom movement. Then they started baptizing people as members of the Jesus movement. But Jesus came to make the whole picture a little bit clearer and to open up all of the promises that were going to be available to the world through this new thing called the church, including the Holy Spirit. And so what happened in Acts chapter 19 where we were reading is Paul is traveling and he found some people who had been baptized by John before Jesus showed up. But they didn't know about Jesus. So they didn't know about all the things that Jesus had promised to all of his followers. And so he asked them, when you became disciples, when you started believing, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said, no. And he said, well, how were you baptized? Well, John dunked us. John baptized us, and Paul tells him, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, of change. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. In other words, you guys stopped short. You didn't go on to find out all of the promises that are supposed to be available to everybody that's going to be a part of God's new work and God's new movement. So here is how Paul fixed that. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on, him, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied after they believed. 
after they had become disciples of God's kingdom. After that, they had the experiences of being baptized in Jesus' name and having the Holy Spirit come on them. So these promises are not something for believers or disciples to avoid or to run away from. But as you learn about these things that are available to you as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, these are things for us to enjoy to open ourselves up to, to give God access to, to fill us, to as it is baptize us, not just in water, but also with the Spirit, so that His Holy Spirit becomes the spiritual breath that animates us and causes us to rise up and to walk in new ways of life. This is what it's all about. These guys are 24 years into being part of a church, but somewhere they had stopped learning and stopped pursuing. And I I mean, the rebaptism thing, it had to be so inconvenient, right? Just so awkward. Like, I already got baptized once. They gave me a free T-shirt. Now you want me to throw that T-shirt away and get a new one? Yeah, and Paul did. And he threw away that T-shirt. And then he gave him a new t-shirt. But it does show that the order and the timing of, of Jesus leading his believers and leading his disciples, it's, it's all over the place. And I, I mean, as I look across this room, can we all just agree that like we're all over the map in terms of our spiritual following Jesus, our, our, des- or our location in following Jesus? We're all over the place. Some of us are first timers. Some of us have been here for 24 years or longer. Some of us are coming back, right? We left and we're trying to come back. Some of us, we're here, but we're kind of thinking about maybe even walking away. Maybe you're going through something. It's just like it's tripped you up. It's got you questioning. It's got We are all over the place in following Jesus. And listen to me, that is okay for us to be all over the place. I'm so glad that God gives grace and space for us to be all over the place. I am hard-headed. I need God to give me space to be all over the place. Can I hear an amen from any other hard-headed people in the room? Yeah, that was a lot of us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that when God shows you something, he gives you time to wrestle with it and think about it and eventually get to the point where you can trust him enough to take that step? Aren't you glad that when you initially maybe hesitate or doubt God, that he doesn't pull out the big golden mallet and bonk you over the head? Aren't you glad? That he's a God of mercy and patience and forbearance. That he's so kind to each and every... Oh, I wish, I was, I wish somebody knew I was already preaching this morning. That, that God is a God of grace and space and mercy. That God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And if any of us, if any of us depended on our own goodwill and our own good efforts or how quickly we responded to the message of God's goodness, we would not even be as close to him as we are. And we're all over the place. And we come into a service like this, and some of us are really comfortable lifting our hands in the air and waving them like we just don't care. And others are just like, no, it's like, that's not for me. You know, I'm, I prefer to be quiet and reserved and fold my hands and bow, and that's okay. Some of us have never cried in an altar. Some of us are so comfortable we cry during worship. We're all over the place. Some of us sing really, really loud during the song part, and you're not even on key. I know. I hear you. I hear you all around. And that's okay. Some of us are not really comfortable talking about baptism. Some of us have been baptized like two and three times because it's like, I'm not sure. I'm going again. Just, you know, last, last summer it was bad. It was bad. You know, I just need to jump back in real quick. Get a, 
Get a little fresh wash going on. You know, do you have the lemon scent? You know, uh, like we just need a new wash. Some of us are comfortable living a spirit-empowered life. Some of us tag in with God like every morning. You talk in tongues every single morning. You have breakfast with Michael and Gabriel and all the other angels, and you're just so. And some of us, man, you're not even sure why you came this morning. Hello. We're all over the place, but there is more to God. There is more to being a follower of Jesus. I can say this to all of us. I don't care where you are on the map. I don't care where you are. There is more. God is huge. God is all wisdom. God is all powerful. God is all knowledge. God is everywhere present. Your God is so much bigger than you have figured out yet. And there's more. There's more. So just follow Jesus. Chase Jesus. Learn of Jesus. Try Jesus. Get bold. Get scared sometimes. Start praying and asking a ghost into your life. It's scary when you're not really used to it. It's like, what in the world are you talking about? But I'm telling you, it is amazing to live a Holy Ghost-powered life. Can I hear a good amen from somebody with a testimony this morning? And so... Religious thinking is, what rules do I need to follow to go to heaven when I die? But relationship thinking, Jesus came to restore us to relationship with our maker. Came to restore us to relationship with our heavenly father. Relationship thinking is, what opens me up to more access with Jesus? How do I grow closer? How do I get closer? How do I involve God in more than just Sundays, but on my Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? And can God really be present on a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday? And and the Holy Spirit is here to teach us and to fill us and to fill our lives and our moments with the presence of our Heavenly Father. And it is available to you. And so I started last week, and this week I'm going to continue teaching about the Holy Spirit just a little bit more. And, and, and starting out, the, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, sometimes as it, as it said, there are two different translations in, in the Bible on, on basically the same thing. About 800 times between the old part of your Bible, the Old Testament, and the new part of your Bible, the New Testament, about 800 times there's this phrase about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that word spirit, wherever you see that. And in the Old Testament, it was this word in the Hebrew, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew originally, ruach. Everybody say that. Hold on. Before you say it, put your hand in front of your face. The person in front of you will thank you later. And say, ruach. (laughs) Sounded dangerous out there. Some of y'all just hocked up a loogie. I heard it. In the Hebrew, it was ruach. And it means literally a wind, a breath, a violent exhalation. Anybody ever been punched in the stomach? No, come here. No, I'm just kidding. A violent exhalation, a blast of breath, and it comes from God. Literally, you might say it's a holy blast of breath from God himself. But the translators, as they're translating everything, they have a dilemma because it was just so clunky. Every time they wanted to write where we see Spirit of God or Holy Spirit, it was just so clunky to put a holy blast of breath from God himself. And so they would put Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. And we actually see this word in the second verse of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the holy blast of breath from God himself was hovering over the waters. God had just spoken everything into creation. 
spoken the world into existence. And that breath that had come out of the mouth of God was now hovering over the waters. The Ruach of God. The breath of God. And then we jump to the New Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, the word is pneuma because most of the New Testament was written in Greek. It's pneuma, which means a current of air, a blast of breath. There it is again. A strong breeze. Again, in the New Testament, it maybe was best translated or is best translated as a holy blast of breath from God Himself. But how do we say that? And so they came up with the same kind of trick that they use when they're translating the Old Testament. We'll call it Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, all of these things. We see Jesus using this word pneuma when He speaks about His own words. In John chapter 6, He said, the Spirit, the pneuma, the pneuma of God, the breath of God Himself gives life. Anybody remember Genesis chapter 1? That's exactly what happened, right? God breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, Jesus is saying, they are a holy blast of breath from God Himself. And they are life. Jesus is saying this. They are a holy blast of breath from God Himself. And just like Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Ruach of God was hovering over the dark and empty waters of creation, and out of that breath came life and everything that we know now, so in the New Testament age that we live in, the pneuma of God breathing through Jesus Christ Himself can come and hover over the emptiness and the blackness and the darkness of our own lives. And when we allow the pneuma of God to breathe into our circumstances, the holy blast of breath from God Himself can make a new creation out of things that were dead, can make new realities where we thought everything was hopeless before, where once there was a wall, now with the breath of God we find a way, where once we were hopeless, now we have been given hope, all because his life, his spirit has blown into us the words through the teachings of Jesus Christ, through the presence of God, even like we have felt in this room this morning. And as a pastor, like, I want this for you. I've prayed for this for you. I've prayed over this service this morning that the holy blast of breath from the Father himself would create new realities in your life would create new possibilities in your life. That things in your life and relationships in your life and circumstances and opportunities and hopes and dreams in your life that you now see as dead, the breath of God himself would blow into your soul, blow into your heart, blow into your mind and bring life, awaken things. That, oh, Jesus, I thought that was dead. I thought that was gone. I was ready to bury that. I was ready to put a tombstone over that. But when I opened up my life, the doors and the windows of my life, and your breath from heaven blew in, things that were dead can come to life again. How many of you know that he's the resurrection and the life? Anybody with a testimony can agree with what I'm saying this morning? It's why the, the Bible doesn't say that we were just bad people who needed to be a little bit good. The Bible says that we were dead people that needed to be brought to life. 
We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were dead in the ways that we used to think and live life and the things that we used to live for. But now with the Holy Spirit, when we give him the full access into our life, the wind of heaven begins to blow into us. And we who were dead spiritually are brought and raised to life by the Holy Spirit of God. So yeah, I want that for you. You should want it for you. You should hope in it for yourself. This is what you should pray for. When you're not sure what else to pray for, pray for this. When you don't know what answer you should ask God for, ask him for this one. God, breathe your new life into me. And so that's the goal of me going through these lessons and talking about this. I want to talk about this living with the breath of God himself in such a way, and God help me, God help me. I want to talk about this in such a way that you want this, that you're desperate for this, that every morning you ask God for this, and you begin to live life dependent on this. So it's the breath of God. It's the wind. It's like the wind from heaven. Somebody say the wind. It's the wind. It's the breath of God from God himself. And here are a few things that we know about breath and about wind. We know this for ourselves. First of all, wind is unseen. We live in Fairfield. Sonia's from Chicago. She's got a double portion of this throughout her whole life. Anybody walked outside in Fairfield and been pushed to the right or the left by the wind? You look around, what's pushing you? Anybody ever go to get out of your car? at the mall, right, and you open the door and you put one leg out and then the wind blows the door closed on your leg? Yes, yes, and you have to repent not too long after that because, well, just because, but you know, you ever see somebody walking in strong wind and they're like leaned into it? Like, man, how's that person walking like that? It looks like a Michael Jackson dance move, right? Outside the church, we're not amazed by the phenomenon of someone being pushed around by something that's unseen. Outside, nobody gets freaked out by that invisible force because we've all felt it and experienced it. But when we're not used to the spiritual wind, and then you come to a spirit-filled church, and they start talking about the Holy Ghost, and it's one of those churches especially where they say like God with three syllables. You guys know what I'm talking about? God, it's like, you know, it's one of those kinds of churches, and they talk about it, and Man, inside the church, all of a sudden, you know, you, you start looking around, right? Like, what in the world's going on? And you see people leaning into worship and leaning in with their hands raised. And, and you're not really used to it, and it can kind of freak you out if you're not used to being in a spirit-filled church. And then somebody turns to you, and they say, ah, oh, doesn't that feel good? And you're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't get a cup of Kool-Aid before I came in the room. Like, what was in your Kool-Aid? What exactly are you talking about? What exactly are you feeling this morning? But what they are feeling and what Jesus intended for you to feel and what he promised that everyone who believes in him can feel is the wind from God's own lungs. It's the breath and the presence of God that will fill up your life, fill up your heart, fill up your soul, so that no matter what you're going through, you never feel like God is away or God is distant, but you know that as you breathe in air to speak out his name, that you are drawing his very presence into yourself. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's available. He is here for you today. 
God's presence is meant to be experienced. God is alive. Anybody ever, you ever had that, you know, you're standing in line at the DMV or something like that, you know, it's like hour number three, and you're, you're there, and like all of a sudden, like you, you look over, and you see somebody staring at you. Anybody ever had that experience? Like you're there, and you, and you make eye contact, and it's super awkward. You felt somebody staring at you, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. You felt that. How does that happen? That's weird, isn't it? Turn to somebody close to you and tell them you're weird. That's weird. It's weird. What is it that we, we even get this? Even if you're not a super spiritual person, you understand what I'm talking about. You've experienced this before in your life. There is something beyond the natural. There is something outside of the physical and the material. And we can even feel it from person to person. Between two people, we can feel someone's presence. We can feel someone's closeness. We can feel when someone is thinking about us. Talk, nobody talks about us, but think, we can feel. We can feel the soul and the presence of a person. How much more your creator, God himself, the one who knows you by name, who has been with you from before the time you were even born. At conception, he was close to you and began to knit together your fibers, the Bible talks about. He knows you so intimately. Do you think that he wants to live divorced from you and apart from you and away from you and far from you? Do you imagine that God is not meant to be felt and experienced when we know even person to person we can feel the spirit of another person, God is available and his presence is meant to be felt and experienced in your life. And there is nothing more beautiful than that. There is nothing more precious and more powerful than that. And that's what I pray for every single Sunday. Not that you're going to be impressed with the music or the greeters or the kids check in or anything like that, but I pray for every single Sunday that at some point every person in the room will stop and realize, wow, God is in this place. That's what my heart beats for as a pastor. That's what I hope. I hope against hope that it can happen every single time. I want to take away every distraction and take away everything that would take your eyes and your thoughts off of that reality that God shows up every single time that we gather together in his name. You can feel it. You can experience it. The Last Supper, Jesus was talking with his disciples. He's about to to hand off this movement that John started, that Jesus continued. He's about to hand off the message of the kingdom and, and what God was doing into the world. And he, so he's introducing his disciples into this concept that, okay, you guys are going to be responsible from now on. I'm taking it out of my hands. I'm going to put it in your hands. And, and, and he's handing off the football, and he spends almost the whole time in John chapters 14 through 17, talking with them and praying over them about this new arrangement that they were going to have and a new way of hearing from him and a new way of feeling and experiencing his presence. And he tells them in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The holy blast of breath from God himself of truth. That Holy Spirit, that pneuma, 
It's going to be with you. He says in verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, to which they all started looking around at each other. You know any ghosts? You know, Jesus, I'm pretty sure I'd remember if I knew a ghost. Jesus says, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he shall be in you. Now remember, Jesus had said earlier, my words are spirit and they are life. That the words of Jesus Christ were that blast of breath from God himself breathing out into the world. And now Jesus is saying that blast of holy breath from God himself. It's been living with you through me. I've been the conduit. I've been the channel. I've been the way that you have had access to this breath of God. But about 50 days from now, on the day of Pentecost, and we talked about this last week, it won't just be something that is with you. It won't just be something that is around you. But God is going to make it so his very breath is going to be in you. It's going to live on the inside of you. It's not something you're going to need to come to me to check in with, but it is going to be in you for yourselves. And then he says this really confusing thing. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. How are you going to come? Because we know you're about to die, and then you're going to be resurrected, and you're going to blast off from the planet. So how are you going to come back? How exact? And Jesus is telling them, because everything you have heard from me, it's the pneuma. It's the Spirit of God. I have been with you. But now, if you consider me as that blast of breath from God himself, I will come back to you, even though my body won't be here anymore. And he tells him in verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And there's a sense in which, since Christ is the very breath of God breathed into the world, that when we are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like what Paul talked about in the Christian experience. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and all of Jesus' beauty. In all of Jesus' love and mercy and his sacrifice on Calvary, showing us the very heart and emotions of the Father, all of the forgiveness that he has given to sinners, all of the grace that he gives to the undeserving, can I hear an amen? It's all wind and breath from the Father. It's the wind and the breath of heaven that blew into the world through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. But here in 2019, that wind of heaven is still blowing into our world, but no more just through one body, not anymore just through one man, but through your life and your life and your story and your story and your testimony and your experience, the wind of God, the breath of God is still breathing new life into our world. The church cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. The church is not the church without the holy breath of God breathing into our world. But the Holy Spirit breathing through you, it can bring new life into dead things. And it can resurrect things that we thought were too far gone to ever come to life again. So it's not something for us to fear. It's something that we should call out for. It's not something for us to run away from. It's something that we should ask God for, that we should believe in that we should trust in, that we should want more. There was never anything to fear from Jesus. Kids used to run up to Jesus. 
The disciples would try and scare them away, but all of them would run up to Jesus, and Jesus said, let them be here. The sick and the hurting would come to Jesus. The only ones who feared Jesus were the ones trying to control Jesus. But you can't tame the wind. You can't tame the breath of God. You can't control the breath of God. And if there was nothing to fear from the Father breathing new life through Jesus' physical appearance or presence, there is nothing to fear from God's holy breath coming to us through our helper, our advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Jesus wrapped up his speech in chapter 14 with this. Peace I live with you. My, I, I leave with you. My peace, I do not give to you as the world gives. I'm not giving you something that you could find without me. I'm not giving you something you could find without the Father. And I don't give it like the world gives. This is something slippery and daring and bold and supernatural. But do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But... A lot of us Christians are afraid to live a Holy Spirit-controlled life. We're afraid of it, right? It's uncomfortable to us. But we're not just afraid of the Holy Spirit because He's unseen. We're also afraid of the Holy Spirit because of this, that wind is unpredictable. The Holy Spirit is unpredictable. I just flew recently to Charlotte, North Carolina and back. And you know what they still have at the airports out there on the runways? Wind socks. You know, you know what a wind sock is? It's out there and it's blowing this way and blowing that way. Why do they have wind socks at airports? Come on, shout it out. It's not a trick question. To see the wind. To see which way the wind's blowing. Why do they have to check in to see which way the wind's blowing? Because they can't predict which way the wind is going to blow. So there's a constant visual check-in. There's a constant measuring. There's a constant looking to see. It's changed. It's shifted. It's going from east to west. Now it's going from north to south. There's a constant having to look for the feel and the direction of the wind. And we don't like that part of living for God. We'd rather God be very tame and predictable and calm. And please don't get me excited when I'm in church and everybody's around me. Just show me once which way you're going to blow and then leave me to go and I'll never have to check in with you again. But listen, God doesn't think like we think. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. God doesn't think the way we think. God is not like us or by definition, he would not be God. He's different than us. He is other than us. He is smarter than us. And I love, in, in the Bible, there was a religious man that came to Jesus one time, and he's, he, he's so confused. Because Jesus, you have shown up, and you're just, you're being so unpredictable. We've been waiting for the kingdom of God, and we can tell you come from God because of all the things you do, it's undeniable, but you're so unpredictable. What is going on? And I love what Jesus says to him in John chapter 3. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. And you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now here's something really cool about this. In the Greek, where the way that Jesus originally spoke this, wind and spirit are actually the same Greek word. It's the pneuma. And so Jesus is telling him, the pneuma blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear the sound of it. You hear the things I've been teaching. You see the things I've been doing. But you can't tell where what I'm doing comes from or what it is leading to. But then he tells them, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Every single person directed by the Spirit of God. People in the natural realm can't understand why we do what we do. You're going through all kinds of hell and havoc in your life. And people look at you and they say, how can you be so calm when everything's breaking down? How can you be so calm and say that what you need to do is pray when everything seems to just be going off the rails? And the reason that we can is because we are born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God leading us to move and to act in ways that are unpredictable to people who are not born of the Spirit. And when you don't have the Spirit inside you, you don't understand what the Spirit is trying to do. But people don't like that about God because they want to understand what God wants us to do. We want to understand what God asks us to do. Can I hear an amen from an honest person? But I want to ask you this morning, do you really want a God you can understand? Do you want a God that is only as big as your brain? Or would you perhaps like to upgrade your model of God to maybe a God who can think outside of your box, to maybe a God who can see a lot more than you can see, to maybe a God who knows the future from the beginning, who knows where you are in the present, and that you can trust your life, that he is guiding you and directing you in ways which might seem unpredictable because of our limited vision, but because we know his heart, we can trust him. Hello, if your God is able to be figured out by your brain, that's not really a God. You just have an imaginary friend. Hello. If your God never contradicts you, that's not a God. You're following your own heart. You're following your own conscience. I want a God who is wild and powerful. I want a God who sees things that I can't see. I want a God that understands things that I can't understand. I want a God that's capable of unleashing God-sized love and God-sized mercy over my Jared-sized sin and my Jared-sized failures. I need more of him than he needs of me. I need more of him than I can have on my own. I want a God, which leads us to another point, that wind is powerful. Wind can generate electricity. Wind can sail a ship. Wind can destroy entire cities. Or wind can float a metal tube filled with 600 people and now service pets. Anybody ever get on an airplane with, there was a person with a, 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 like a goose on an airplane recently. You can bring a goose on an airplane. Did you guys know that? Side note, you learned something at church. Anyway, some of us in this room are facing challenges in our life that human power cannot solve. Some of us in this room are facing tests and trials and problems, and you've been trying to fix them on your own for years now, and you're still with it. You're still stuck there, and you still can't do it on your own. You don't need more of you. You don't need me. Just ask my wife. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not strong enough to do anything for you. But I know someone who is. And there is something that comes 
from heaven itself. And what you need is the supernatural. What you need is a divine miracle. What you need is the holy presence of God to flood your life and to flood your problem and to flood your weakness and to breathe new life into dead things. Hello, church is not small. Church is not powerless. Church is not weak. When you open yourself up to everything that God is and everything that God has, his Holy Spirit is powerful. It's able to change things that you thought would never change. It's able to break chains and addictions. I wish I had a witness in the room this morning. It's able to break chains and addictions and habits and behaviors that have ruined your life before. It's the presence of God, the breath of God. It's the most wonderful new power working within you. The most wonderful power breathing new life and new possibilities and speaking peace over the storms of your life. We looked at this last week from Acts chapter 1. Jesus told his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And because of this unpredictable, all-powerful force, as we go through life, the breath of God himself will help us navigate trial and pain and tragedy and misfortune and all of these things. And God will work what the enemy meant for evil to turn around for our good. And we'll come out the other side with stories and with witness of God's power and of God's grace and of God's goodness. Amen. And your story, your story will be somebody else's salvation. Your story will be somebody else's hope when they find themselves in despair. Your story will be the daylight that dawns upon somebody's life when it seems like they've just been living in a constant state of nighttime. God God, fill us with your power. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Jesus' name. The last thing that we know about wind is that wind is refreshing. Come home from that vacation. I live in a two-story house. and You know, you come home, and especially upstairs. When you walk in the upstairs after being away for a while, it's just so stuffy. And I, I love Fairfield for the evening breeze. And then we have one of those whole house fans at the top of the stairs. I love that, man. You, you open up some windows downstairs, and you turn on that whole house fan, and it just sucks all that cool breeze into the air, and blows out the, the stale air out into the attic. I love it. I love feeling that, breathing that in after being stuffed up for so long. And, and you come to the Spirit, and you come to this Christian life and just living through the normal just ups and downs of life and we get stuck in patterns and stuck in ruts and stuck in ways of thinking and it's just we need the wind of God to breathe fresh possibility into our lives and into our circumstances. I love what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his pneuma, by his breath breathing into us, by those moments when we just were stuck in a rut and we didn't know where our hope was going to come from. And then the Spirit of God comes and begins to work, not just on us but around us, not just in us but through us. And it breathes new life and it breathes new possibility. And suddenly where life had seemed so stale and life had felt like it was suffocating us, the Spirit of God 
The Spirit of God has breathed new possibility into us. The world was so bound up in darkness and in evil, and nobody had ever seen what God was about to do for the world through Jesus. Nobody had ever understood God's plan completely, God's plan for the lost, for the broken, for the hurting, for the wandering. No human mind could possibly have dreamed up what God was going to do through Jesus. Or Paul said they never would have crucified him. If they knew what he was, what was going to be unleashed, if they knew the breath of God that was limited to that one body but would soon be available to everyone, they never would have put him to death. Jesus told his disciples, you should be glad that I'm about to die. You're all sad, but you should be glad because in a few days from now, you are all going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this thing that you were dependent on my lips and my tongue to articulate for you will now be living in you, circulating through you. And God has revealed these things to us by His Spirit. And by His Spirit, we see that into the musty and stale space of our lives, the Spirit can blow like fresh air. And we see Jesus on a cross bearing the full weight of sin's consequences and offering forgiveness for our sins. And now on the other side of Calvary and on the other side of the birth of the church, now we, we're not worthy, we're not deserving, we didn't pay for this, we can't earn this, but we, common people like you and me, broken and lost and sinful people like you and me. Now we can breathe the air of heaven. And you don't even know the things that God wants to do in your life. You can't even comprehend the things that God wants to do through your life. He wants to heal and transform and use you so powerfully and so beautifully to fix your world. It's been God's plan from the beginning to use us to use the weak and the lost and the broken to bring healing and restoration to this world. And so to this church family, I say to us, breathe. Breathe the air of heaven. Open up your spiritual mouth and take in great gulps of heavenly air, the breath and the presence of God Himself. Breathe in a soul full of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your soul with the air of heaven. Let him blow into your life and open up every corner, open up every area, every room of yourself to the holy blast of breath from God himself. But there's nothing to fear from the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to fear from the Holy Spirit. There is nothing to fear. There's no reason to fear the breath of a good and living God. And Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My closeness and my words of spirit and life, they won't just be with you. They won't just be around you, but they will be in you. And the disciples felt as strange and as awkward about it as we do sometimes. When they first heard it, it didn't really make sense to them either. You can read John 14 to 17. They had all kinds of questions. At one point, they said, oh, okay, now we believe. Now we get it. And Jesus looked at them and said, do you? Do you really? Because he knew that they didn't. And we sometimes think we have everything figured out. We have our Christian experience figured out. We've got it mapped out and planned out. Then I'm going to go to church this day and ask for forgiveness for this. But, you know, I'll kind of 
maybe leave God over there in that part of my life and maybe not give God access to this part of my life. I've got everything mapped out. And God, I know where I need you and I know where I don't. God, I know where I'm going and I know where I won't. We've got everything mapped out. Now, Jesus, now I believe and now I'm a Christian. And Jesus looks at us and he says, really? Do you? Do you believe? Do you trust me? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Is your life filled with the air and the breath of heaven since you believed? Since you became a disciple, since you became a Christian, would you really describe your days as unpredictable following the Spirit? Would you really describe as you encounter trials and circumstances that have frustrated you and left you just like throwing your hands up in the air and wondering, God, like how in the world are you possibly going to fix this? Because I've been trying. Like would you really Really? Describe your experience and your relationship with God as powerful? Would you really say that, yes, the breath and the presence of God Himself has breathed into my weakness, has breathed into my shortcoming, has breathed new hope, a new possibility where I'm just pretty much writing this thing off as dead? Can you really say that? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Jesus is talking about something that's unseen. Hello. Jesus is offering us something that's unpredictable, and that frustrates us sometimes. But He is offering us something so very powerful, because on the other side of surrendering yourself to it, it is so refreshing to your soul. To get on the other side of your pain, to get on the other side of your hurt and look back and realize, I couldn't have done that on my own. I could not have made that happen. It was the presence and the breath of God. And all I had to do was surrender and open myself up to His Holy Spirit. He tells each and every one of us, peace, I'm trying to leave it with you. My peace, I want to give it to you. And you're struggling with doubt and not knowing where where your next step is going to come. And if you're you're really, truly a follower of me, I'm trying to give you peace, but I don't want to give you something just like the world gives. I don't want to just give you another pill to help you sleep at night. I want to solve what's keeping you up. I want to fix you. I want to help you. I want to heal you and make make you whole. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And as God begins to blow in this room this morning, as God begins to breathe new life and new possibilities and, and maybe kind of talk to you this morning for the first time about asking Him to give you that experience of being baptized with His Spirit, being filled with His Spirit. And God, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And what's going to happen? And we're not sure. And it's a little bit scary when we talk about a Holy Ghost and a Holy Spirit. And I would say to you the words of Jesus, do not be afraid, but open your heart to Him. Open your soul to Him. Let Him fill your life. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.